I never thought I'd be recording a podcast side by side with a Damon. What about side by side with a friend? I, I could do that. <laughs> stupid, <laughs> two stupid people. <laughs> Your childhood idiot, the podcast where we look back on things from our childhood or early adulthood in this case and see if they're any good. My name is CJ. And my name is Damon. Hello. 2003? Ah, uh, yes. Lord right of the Rings. John Kerry took the White House. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yeah. Not to Coming be confused back. with the Revenge of the Sith. Okay, so. Just to recap, everybody, we're recording all of these intros for the uh, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings trilogy before we we've seen rewatched a stitch of them. Haven't seen before a we've rewatched any of them. So we're just going to be carrying memories into these. I was in carrying college. Memories into these. Whatever. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's a thing. The women with baskets on their heads. It's a thing people say. <laughs> and carrying, by- carrying. Uh, hold on. You are saying under oath that people say carrying memories into things. I'm That's saying, something people say. I'm saying that I say it, and it's better if we just let it go. <laughs> That's what I'm you saying. You are people. You are I people. I am people. Lots people of people are saying it. Lots of people are coming up to me, and they're saying, Sir? <laughs> Carrying lots of memories into this moment. <laughs> and the, what they're, do I they're do big, with tough this? guys, and they're crying. Their tears are streaming down their face, and they're saying to me, Sir, I'm <laughs> carrying these memories into your rallies. I was in college, and I was in a long distance relationship. Ooh. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I treated that like salacious. And Ooh. She, she, she was coming to visit, and her plane was supposed to land on the evening that we went to see this movie. The movie was much longer than I realized, um, even, even though I had after... seen the first two. This one, <laughs> okay, I think, good. is the longest one, isn't it? I don't know if it actually is, but it, it, I think its ending makes it feel really long. Right. It has, it has several falling actions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the denouement, uh, it's like the end of a log flume ride. Where just, yeah. You know, and I think it was not just that. But also, I think her flight landed a little early, and I was just really excited to see her, and it had been a long time, like it had been several months. So I just could not focus on the end of this movie the first time I saw it. I just remember being like, I'm just going to go. She came by to visit, and you immediately went to go see Return of the King? I don't want to get into any unsavory details. No, no, no. She wasn't wasn't here yet. Oh, okay. We decided to go... I think my friends wanted to go. Um, I imagine we went with, with some of our mutual friends, but I don't remember who all was there. But I remember, like, I was probably like, ah, I'll just wait because uh, my girlfriend's coming in. But then they were like, oh, come on, we're just going to go, and then we'll, you'll be done. You know what I mean? It was one of those things. Not that they, like, peer pressure me into it, because I wanted to see the movie. But I was like, yeah, we'll sneak it no in. No one's accusing you of anything. Listen, my friends forced me to go <laughs> see this. They shoved Mike and Ike's and popcorn down my throat. <laughs> They made me read the Selmarillion before I could enter the theater. And cool. I feel like cool. I'm, I win just because I said the Silmarillion without repeating myself. So. You did great. Without stuttering. Anyway, so I remember being very distracted and being like, 
Okay, I think uh, that's a good ending. We got to the... Oh, oh, we're still... Okay, we're doing it again. Okay, okay, I see. Oh, and the bed. They're on the bed. Okay, that's nice. Oh, we're weeping. Oh, okay, we're just looking at each other very fondly. Okay, and now we're going off to Magic Elfland. Okay, okay. I just remember being like, okay, okay. I, I mean, it's a well-earned ending in the sense that they've been through a lot as characters. But we probably could... I know they did cut some of the... Denouement from the books. I remember there's there's more like epilogue or something, right? Uh, there's actually, I mean, it's it's part of the main narrative, but I mean, I can I, I can talk about this now. But like when you're reading a book, you're actually <laughs> oh, please, holding a please fucking ex- thing. Please explain and- to me the, how how <laughs> books work. But it's I mean, when when Frodo drops the ring into Mount Doom, you you realize like, why am I still holding 150 pages in my right hand? <laughs> There's so many pages left. <laughs> so you sort of have a much keener awareness, a tangible right. awareness that there is more to this story that's coming that you do not get in a movie. And I have seen, I saw right. this movie probably also like the other two, three times in the theaters. And each time you can just feel a palpable tension building in the audience. Every time a new scene begins after the, <laughs> the ring has been destroyed where it's like, uh, Okay, that same like emotion of like you can hear like the seats creaking as people just get comfortable again, uh, and like I think after like Frodo goes into the Gray Havens on that boat in like the second to last scene, like you see a boat going towards the horizon, which in any fucking movie would be like, and that is the end of the movie. And when it cuts back to Sam, it's like a forty-five second scene, but it cuts back to Samwise Gamgee back in Hobbiton going to see his family. The uh, there was an audible like uh, in the audience when I saw it. <laughs> so you're not alone, but yes, there is. Yeah. There's a whole scene where they go back to the Shire, and Saruman has actually taken over the Shire, and they sort of rally the hobbits to flush out these evil people. And Saruman gets stabbed in the back on the steps out of Bag End, and it's actually one of my favorite moments in the book. Mm. But it's also understandable why it kind constantly gets cut out of both the return of the king adaptation that that rankin bass did and this adaptation both times like absolutely not people are going to kill us if we keep making film strips to go on after this right wanted to see this fucking ring destroyed we gave it to them let's wrap this up as cleanly as we can yeah 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 and it didn't get out that's what i always say quote peter jackson i feel like this is going to be a moment where we finally so what I haven't mentioned in the, any of these intros yet is that <laughs> Lauren is already angry with me for choosing to watch these movies for the podcast. <laughs> Not I, that she, I feel she, like we gave her a two-year head start knowing that it was coming sooner. We've been wanting to do this for a long time. Damon really loves these. I think they're worth a revisit. They're old enough where, yes, of course, we weren't. We weren't actually children when we watched they're it, 20 but it's years. like, this they're 20 year. years. The, the, the Fellowship of the Ring came out this year. It's 20 years. time. We've been wanting to do it. And Lauren is already building in frustration at me as if I created these films. At this point, do you regret telling her that there were monsters in every other room of the house and she has to live in the living room? <laughs> you can go anywhere else. <laughs> I We've can watch even these. got TVs in other rooms. Yeah. I can watch these alone on my iPad. That's fine. <laughs> but no, I think uh, we're. this might be a moment where I think she will check out well before this, of course, in the other previous movies. But this may be a moment that if she's 
watching might break her. I can almost guarantee it. Dollars to donuts, my friend. And I understand, like, it's... It's a frustrating moment. Like the, it's almost filmed like a joke. Like the, the slow mo, b- b- oh my, bouncing God, on the-, the bed scene. It's like so ridiculous that you're like, it's like a tenacious D music video. Like they're like, you know, they film it as if it's a music video where they're being sexy, but obviously it's a joke. Mm-hmm. And like this is like. They're all in white and like robes and like jumping. What is there's a lot of Vaseline right on now. the lens. There's a yeah. slow motion laugh from Ga- Gandalf. There's an odd <laughs> sexual energy. <laughs> there's an odd sexual energy between both Aragorn and the Sam. Hobbits and Legolas. Uh, it's so. It's quite possibly the worst scene in a good film. Mm. In all of filmdom, in my opinion, it's yeah. so awkwardly handled and it evokes the exact wrong emotion at that point. And I know what they were going for, which is like, they've been, th- you know, Frodo had per- sort of resigned himself that he was about to die with Sam yeah. and he wakes up in a bed and he sees a person he thought was dead two movies ago. Right, right. And it just... I think if they had filmed it in just regular motion, it would have been fine. But the fact that it is in slow motion, it is... And this is all from memory. We haven't even fucking watched the movie yet. But this yeah. is both oh, tattooed in our it's brains. seared into the memory. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. such a... Just the wrong choice. Especially at the end of... Okay, so obviously, as you mentioned, like the characters have been through so much. And so this is like this, this great relief. And, you know, there's, you know... Evil has been vanquished from Middle Earth, and and our friends are back, and you know a lot of us, more of us, survived than we thought, and blah blah blah. And then uh, also, as audience members, we have made it through ten plus hours of movie, and not, you know, not that that's the same, but we have made, we have been with these characters. It's for, like we've for, seen our own War of the Ring, and yeah, way. yeah, and we made it through this, and like this is supposed to be your like party at the end of the world, right? This is your uh, scene at the end of Dirty Dancing where everybody, even the dickhead (laughs) owner of the club is dancing with the guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's supposed to be like, oh, everybody's cool. And and you're supposed to kind of like let your your hair down, let your worries, like, yo, you made it. And instead you're like creeped out. It's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to feel. Even though at first you're like, okay. And then you're just like, what? It just slowly... Makes your head cocked to the side as you go, what are they doing? It's a weird moment. And it's sad because that's like, that's what I remember from this whole, not even just this movie, but from most, that's the (laughs) most, the most that I remember is this scene from the whole trilogy. It's awkward. I think this might which be... Which is not fair, which I don't think is fair. It's just that's the way it is. <laughs> I'm curious to see. I, I have a feeling that this movie might be the one that ages the worst. Mm. I feel like there's a lot of overindulgence in like slow motion and, and things like mm. that where it can be a little bit overwhelming. I don't yeah. think it makes it a bad movie, but I think especially now that we have a few more Peter Jackson movies and a few more uh, indulgent uh, Middle Earth Peter Jackson movies, right? that sometimes that colors my opinion now of... Of this one. Of this one a little bit. Right, yeah. yeah Once we I've see seen that- his overindulgence in the Hobbit movies, yeah, that that this one sort of gets colored by that a little bit. I think it's when still I, it's still good, but and I think there's a lot of like fun like cathartic moments 
I think I've talked on this podcast before where I love moments. Some people hate it, but I love moments in movie theaters where people clap at movies, <laughs> even though it's so stupid because, of course, Peter Jackson and the actors are not there. It is a right. filmed <laughs> event that's just being broadcast in the movie theater. Little known fact, uh, Elijah Wood goes to every screening of these movies. He's just hoping that a Rocky Horror type like uh, stage production will just break out in front of the screen that he's always there in costume waiting in the wings. He likes to do a DJ set after each one. (laughs) But... I love uh, there when I saw this the first time when when Baradur like starts crumbling people started spontaneously clapping and it always warms my heart when people do that I don't yeah. know why but I love it and I remember that I kind of like it too to be honest and it's a pretty I, cool like uh, destruction when his eye blows up it blows the rest of it uh, sideways it's great it's great yeah, and you get that like in the movie theater the plus you get uh, Eowyn's I am no man. And she stabs a witch king through the face with her sword. And I remember that, getting cheers in the, in the theater. Mm. Plus, uh, you get uh, Legolas stabbing a giant elephant in the skull. And uh, Gimli screaming, that only counts as one. And you're in my uh, favorite line, which is uh, Legolas and Gimli uh, solidifying their friendship and saying a very long-pronounced, I... <coughs> I can I do can that. that. Uh, just, just a little inside baseball here for the listeners. Damon and I still, to this day, will text versions of that to each other with a lot of ellipses, and then finally a I. I can do that, <laughs> and it's still very funny to me. Makes me laugh every time. Many, many years later, maybe not if I'm like watching the ellipses pour in from me, <laughs> and I'm just waiting them out so that they'll stop. Sometimes we commit to it for a pretty long time. Oh, yeah. Once you get that copy and paste rhythm going, you can yeah. go on for days. <laughs> and if, you, if I'm on iMessage on my computer, watch out because it's a lot God help you. I also, I think I'm going to have, I'm going to save them for after we watch the movies, but I think I'm going to have a lot of questions about people's powers because they're very confusing to someone who hasn't read the books or, or have any idea what's going on when you come into these movies. Cause like, well, if Gandalf was so powerful, Oh, he's, is he only powerful because he died? Is he just wearing new clothes or does that come with new power? If that, if that lady could do that, why didn't she do that before? If they could do that then, why didn't, you know what I mean? There's all those kind of questions. And I don't remember specifically those questions now, but I know I'm going to have them and I can't wait to lay them on you and have you go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I never read the Silmarillion. Yeah. Uh, no, I look forward to that. I would be happy to answer any questions you might have about uh, Gandalf's uh, costume changes. <laughs> We're going to get related, nerdy. related powers. <laughs> uh, his costume related powers. He feels so much more confident in white. So he can do a lot more. He, ju- he got invited to P. Diddy's white party and mm. he had to rush out to f- the forest of Fangorn right after. That'll give anybody a boost. You know? <laughs> We're going to get real nerdy up in this piece. Uh, I'm excited. Watch The Lord of the Rings Return of the King with us. We'll be right back. Damn it. We've been rapping about fantasy for a little while. Let (laughs) Mm -hmm. me tell you what the real fantasy is. Mm -hmm. The real fantasy that you get to live every day is a podcast of two buddies 
talking about old films and TVs that you can support at patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I think the second person is throwing me off. I do live in this fantasy where I'm in a podcast where I talk about movies <laughs> that, with my buddy, but I'm not also supporting my own podcast. That's, that's what defeats the purpose. The fantasy has become a reality. Wow. It is the power of fiction. The power of Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. It's hard to come up with commercials, you guys. You're doing you're doing great, and I'm not helpful in any way. We are back. We watched Loader Rotor, as I like to call this one. Lord of the Rings, Return of the Ring. Ring. <laughs> Ring. <laughs> I just like to call it loader rotor. It doesn't really help with the actual abbreviation, but you might actually accidentally lead people to the wrong movie. Have you ever thought of that? <laughs> Is this? A, I'm looking for a rotor something. You're looking for so, loader rotor. Loader rotor. Lord of the Rings. Return of the King. I'm ready to recap. Are you ready for this? Oh yeah, I'm I gonna am, uh, ready to go. I'm gonna stretch here. Okay, <sighs> T- gotta bring toe it. Touches some gotta bring it home. Bends. Bring it home. Well, actually, could you recap where we were at the end of last movie real quick? Oh, uh, on the previous episode of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Well, Frodo and Sam had winded their way into uh, Ithilien outside of Mordor, met up with Faramir, former Sean Bean's brother, who uh, let them go on a treacherous path that Gollum was leading them on. Meanwhile, our buds over in Rohan had just driven back Saruman's Uruks from Helm's Deep and were uh, enjoying a well-earned respite mm. from battle. Our, our buddy Pippin, the, the idiot of the group, finds Saruman's crystal ball thing that leads Sauron. Apparently it has some sort of similar connection to Sauron, so he sees you with the uh, crystal ball thing. (laughs) Meanwhile, Gollum leads Sam and Frodo to the spider's cave. He frames Sam, convincing Frodo to get rid of him, and Frodo goes alone in the spider cave. Bad move. You never want to go in a giant spider cave alone. Meanwhile, the rule of a giant snake cave, opposite. You want to go alone. Yeah. Yeah. Because single file. It's meaningless. Yeah. Frodo gets uh, butt stung by the by the uh, giant spider, but eventually saved by Sam, and he he gets him out of there. Meanwhile, Elrond reforges the sword of Shmashma. <laughs> Boromir's dad nearly fucks everything up. Yeah, that there's family's a, a mess. There's a giant, huge battle, even bigger than the one at Helm's Deep at Minas Tirith, which is the white castle you can get steamy hamburgers and orc battles good guys have a lot of onions though (laughs) yeah surprisingly weird amount of onions (laughs) also don't describe your burgers as steamy and expect me to be into it is the bun wet i've never had a white castle (laughs) at least not sober Eventually, the good guys prevail with help from the, the slow-moving cavalry of Rohan. They decide to uh, attack Mortar head-on. They're like, let's take this fucking battle to Sauron himself. We're going to die, but let's just fucking do this. And that distraction actually allows Frodo and Sam to sneak up the back way, sneaking Sally through the alley, as I like to say. And they destroy the ring. Gandalf and Frodo go to heaven, and everyone else gets to go fuck themselves. <laughs> Including the audience that's, like, itching in their seats. <laughs> And that was the Lord of the Rings, who was... Sauron was the Lord of the Rings? Who was the Lord of the Rings? 
That's uh, that's the twist. The Lord of the Rings was in us all. Frodo. Also, he... it was it was Sauron. Oh, Sauron. Okay, he's trying to be the Lord of the Rings, but it's kind of not working. Uh, I think it's only in the movie once that uh, Gandalf refers to. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's only one Lord of the Rings, and he does not share power. This might have been covered, so I apologize. But are the other rings gone? What happened to the other rings? No, uh, it's in in Grey Havens when uh, when they're on the boat to heaven. <laughs> Which sounds ludicrous, but is accurate. Um, <laughs> you see that Galadriel has the three elven rings, which were made before Sauron ever crafted his one ring. She she has one, and uh, Elrond has one. And I don't know what happened to the third elf who had one, but he gave it to Gandalf in the end. No, that's nice. So Gandalf has the third one. Wow. In fact, but when he were... says, I am a servant of a secret fire, when he talks to the Balrog, he's referring to his ring, which is the ring of fire. Oh. Why didn't they play that? This is a perfect opportunity. Couldn't you get the rights. Johnny Cash's yeah. estate is it's just loaded, but such a spendthrift. Is he's more correct? of a no. He's they, they more just of a more. sci-fi guy. He didn't really want to. <laughs> also, quite litigious. I like. I'm a hard sci-fi guy. Don't give me this fantasy crap. I, I'm even strict about the Star Wars stuff because that's <laughs> fantasy. There's knights, there's princesses. It's really more of a space five. western. It's a space western. Let me tell you, we are nailing this Johnny Cash impression. <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like. Hello? I like sci-fi. <laughs> Folsom, <laughs> City, Folsom <laughs> Prison loves sci-fi too, and they just let out a huge cheer. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, okay, so... But there are more rings than that, right? Yeah, there are they're... seven dwarf rings. Uh, part, part of them are lost, but I think Thorin, who is in The Hobbit, the, the, the Hobbit. head of the dwarves in The Hobbit, his father had one of the dwarf rings, I believe. And the, the nine men ones are all, were all owned by men who became Nazgul. Okay, okay. And, the, and now, I don't know if you caught it, but did you catch where, the, the, where Sauron's ring was? In his eyeball? It was on Frodo's neck the entire time. I don't know if you caught it. There were a few uh, subtle references. It was just dangling by a necklace, and then they threw it in the volcano. Did you catch that? Did they the, even, did the they even show that ring? I don't... You know, you, you got to catch fleeting glimpses of it. The fans know. The fans yeah, catch it. Yeah, the fans yeah. will see it. It's a little fan service for you. Okay. If you get the Snyder Cut, there's more ring in it. <laughs> so I'm going to have a lot of questions because we're kind of wrapping this up. It, it actually... <laughs> get them get while they're hot. I got to be honest, and uh, the last three episodes may betray this, but I feel like this, these movies explain themselves better than I remembered. I was expecting to be more confused. But if you're paying attention, maybe I just wasn't paying as much attention. <laughs> but if you're like watching them and like going like, what, did the, what happened to that guy? You always like, it does mostly explain what happened to that guy. You just kind of have to like not get too hung up on the names, which I know is way worse than the books. But even in the movies, it's a little bit like, okay, I'm not, uh, that guy, okay, fine. As long as you have a vague description of the guy, you can sort of figure it out. You can, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, this is one of my larger points, but I think Peter Jackson does do a good job of knowing what to sort of gloss over and what needs to be explained. And I think he does a good job of that yeah. in general. I will say that just up top, like most of my questions are clarifying in the sense that I'm interested that the movie does a good job of making me sort of interested in more rather than I was confused about the action. You know what I mean? Which I think is good because you want, you know, with a, a really rich world like this, you want something where you're like, 
hey, what was the deal with that guy? Not like, what the fuck was the deal with that guy? Like, where did he come? You know what I mean? There's like a big difference between I want this world enriched in my mind because it's so uh, complex and interesting and this made no fucking sense because you're just using nonsense words. You know what I mean? I think there's a huge difference. If you'd like to learn more about Lord of the Rings, send, yeah. send a self-addressed stamped envelope to lordoftherings.gov. <laughs> Why would you send it to a website? It doesn't make any sense. So... Let me start with, is this, this begins with a flashback that we don't super need, which is <laughs> showing Smeagol, uh, Andy Serkis, in e- looking even creepier as just himself, as uh, yeah, Smeagol. I, like, I, I actually prefer you as the emaciated creature uh, than no offense this sunken-eyed weirdo. <laughs> no offense to Andy Serkis, but offense. He's got like... <laughs> He's got like the Eddie Vedder hair, and he looks like he hasn't slept, and his even just normal smiling Smeagol looks just yeah, like, like whatever the Middle Earth equivalent of a van would be, a windowless van. <laughs> well, I guess that's just... Probably know. that boat, that circular boat, boat they yeah. were in the river. That, that's why I wrote down. I feel like Smeagol might have always been a little murderous. It didn't seem like to take much to turn him. He's like, oh, so you got a ring? I'm going to murder my friend. Is he like, cause he, it's like pretty clear. He's a straight up hobbit in this. Like, I know yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of inferred, uh, before that he was hobbit like or something. But. This scene in the books is pretty much at the beginning of the, the first novel and the second chapter Gandalf sort okay. of just goes through the history of the ring, just sort of like Kate Blanchett does in the introduction of the film. Yeah. But they sort of hand wave the Gullum stuff which made me nervous the first time I saw it because she called him the creature Gollum. I'm like, oh, he's the hobbit of the Sturish strain from the Anduin River. But, <laughs> but uh, I am glad because each movie actually begins with a flashback, which is kind of cool. But this, this is yeah. the flashback I was most excited about. Although, I mean, rewatching it now, I was like, ooh, some of this is weird. I mean, the Andy Circus part is weird. And then, yeah. but the worst part is the uh, underwater effects of, of Deagle, his friend getting pulled under by the, the yeah. fish, are a little. Not good. <laughs> it's a kind yeah. of it kind of has like um like a really cool church's CGI version of Jonah and the Whale effect, <laughs> and you can tell he's just sort of like in a room with fans blowing at him rather than actually being underwater. And uh, the perspective Let's is rap weird. about and Christ. Just... <laughs> now Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Let's rap. I don't know why it looked like that, but it was it was very awkward to watch now because most of the special effects pretty much hold up. But that was a uh, that was an exception. This, I have to be honest. This one I noticed the most. I, you know, I don't like want to spend too much time complaining about the effects of you know in a, a twenty year this, old movie. Yeah, but like part of what was really cool is the the practical effects. So anytime they kind of get away from it and go lean more heavily on the CG, it's it becomes a little bit more noticeable, like especially later on in that in the third act of or the uh the big battle at Minas Tirith. There's a lot in that that I kind of again, it wasn't like some moments are a little distracting, but mostly it's just like I'm noticing the CG more than I did in the theater when I was, you know, yeah. in my early 20s or whenever this would have been at this point. There are a lot of, uh, in that battle, there are a lot of shots that call attention to themselves, which is one of my little pet peeves where, yeah. you know, the shot just could not exist in real life. It can only exist in a CGI environment. You know, shots where the camera is right behind guys who get blown up by a, 
a piece of debris or, yeah. or that one where you see the trebuchet send uh, that boulder flying into the orcs and you follow it all the way down. They're kind of cool shots, but it also makes you feel like you're in a video game. Right. That's not the case in that whole battle, but there are just a lot of those type shots more than I remember in other parts of the, the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, it had a very like ride at Universal Studios vibe. Like, <laughs> oh, like no, this is cool. And stuff the DeLorean. <laughs> this this experience is cool, but it, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have the same sort of I don't know practical vibe as some of the rest of it. But we also have uh, pretty early on. We have uh, Brit. We got the appearance of Brit McKinsey. Oh yeah, Brit McKinsey. Brit, uh, yeah. He uh, that was a weird fan thing that happened where he apparently is at the Council of Elrond. And a girl noticed him in the background. Like, he is a background character. And yeah. a girl noticed him. And she made a whole, like, story for him. And he became, like, a fan favorite. And so then they gave him a speaking role in this movie. And then he also appears in the first Hobbit movie. Mm-hmm. And then, It's just then, a great triumph of this, a very attractive man who I believe, whose father is also rich. What's the deal? Okay. Another what's the deal situation. <laughs> This sword, okay, the sword of Shmashma, as I call it. What is it called, actually? Well, uh, the broken sword is called Narsil, and the new sword is called Shmashma. Actually, I can't remember. A, it starts with an it, A, I think. It gets a new name because it's put back together? Yeah, the Library of Congress would tell you that you cannot just call it the same name. If you like forged it, it's a new sword. It's a ship of Theseus sort of thing. Like You're going to have to fill out your W... <laughs> 1049 again for sword ownership. Still got to wait five days. <laughs> this has originally has magical properties. Uh, I mean, no, I, it's just literally the sword that cut the ring off of Sauron's hand in the, in the beginning of it. But in, it the, also, in the introduction, when they right. cut the ring off, that's the same sword. So, yeah, so he, uh, the, what's the guy, the, the, human that was originally wielding the sword. Isildur. Okay, Isildur was uh, wielding <laughs> the, the sword. Sauron shatters it, and, and he still uses it to slice the ring off of Sauron's finger. Right. And so then it just becomes like a relic. It's sort of a symbol of the broken line of the lineage. Yeah. But it doesn't... But when he reassembles it, it's like, hey... Aragorn, Aragorn's your, your king, see? He's got this sword that's put back together. I think it's more, even though, I, I think I get what you're saying, like, because he fights a ghost with it, correct? Yeah, he also <laughs> uses it to, yeah, I was getting to that. I was leading up to, he also fights a nebulous spirit with it. Uh, I think that's more that it's a meaningful relic of the king of Gondor. It's sort of a sign of his lineage. Okay. Uh, then magical in and of itself so any sword potentially any sword that he was wielding might have done that we if he had know. the shoes of isildur and took him in and he could just prove that they came it's like a certificate of authenticity essentially <laughs> if you have so, that at antiques roadshow you'd get a better price for it but i mean that means it does have so i'm not I, i'm not really arguing against you at this point i'm just sort of like a little confused by this because i think it's a movie thing the problem is like in the 
in the book, he has that sword the entire time. It's not a thing that he is given. Okay. He, like, the minute he meets Frodo and Sam, he's like, look at my broken sword. And they're like, what a weird thing to do. Okay. (laughs) Why would you carry a broken sword with you? Is this a dick thing, or? (laughs) And then when he actually goes through the paths of the dead in the book, they don't fight or even say anything. They just, it's actually kind of creepy. They're walking through these paths and they just notice that behind them are, they are being followed by an army of dead people. So they just are immediately fall in line. They're just like, that's the King of Gondor. Let's follow him. Now in the movie, you know, as a rule, Peter Jackson's like, if there can be an action sequence, there will be an action <laughs> sequence. And so he actually fights him. I wouldn't say that that means the sword has magical power. At least the way I interpret it, it's just that it is the, king of gondor's sword and that is the only person that can fulfill their oath and so it's like a i guess a metaphorical power more than a literal magical power okay all right i got it and they they're kind of like but it's not really that that convinces them it's they kind of browbeat them into (laughs) he's saying i'll release you from your your vows if you fight but also like gimli's like you have no honor (laughs) <laughs> and then, they, yeah, and then like, we don't badmouth them in their own yeah. home. And then we cut away, and then it's assumed that he basically passive aggressively got them into the battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's accurate. Any other questions about the dead people? I mean, that whole that whole dead city. It's very Ghostbusters. The whole vibe of it. They're literally like green. Yeah, it has yeah. a Ghostbusters vibe. I'm not. In I fact, mean, I, I think I saw the New York cabbie in there. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one scene, Slimer was there, but his mouth was full of hot dogs, so he couldn't really say anything. <laughs> the Scolari brothers! <laughs> Gave him the chair! <laughs> you have to look really closely, but they're in there. I'm not even necessarily complaining about that. It just had that vibe, and it was like, okay. It was very creepy. Um, yeah, especially- I think that's why it's such a big scene in this, because, you know, Peter Jackson comes from that horror lineage, and so he's like, oh, yeah. I can. there's a creepy thing in here? I will creep it up even more so. Although I would argue in the book, it's a little creepier because they're just like, what are we doing? They're just walking through this path and then all of a sudden they look behind them and, hello. They don't say hello. (laughs) Hi. Hi. I'm the king of the dead. (laughs) Hey, kids. (laughs) You want me to see my skull through my skin. What can we do you for, king of Gondor? Do you want me to haunt your enemies? <laughs> You're trying to defeat the Corsair ships. <laughs> Why, gosh, we could help you with that. <laughs> what is it, Goofy, now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yuck, yuck, yuck. That's when he falls down the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. We haven't touched on any of my notes yet. Yeah, go ahead. I feel like no, I, I have not. I, I just want I always just want questions. Well, okay, let's get let's keep getting going here. Well, you you touched on it and I wanna I wanted to talk about this anyway, that that like I feel like there's a lot of moments in this that are very suspenseful that kind of touch on that almost it's not really barely dipping into that horror genre, but the whole spider cave scene is real creepy. And you got this giant spider that's done pretty well. Yeah. The CG, I think is awesome. And it like, especially, you know, if you give it context and it's the moment where Frodo thinks he's out and what is her name? She lobe. She is like creeping silently above him. That's fucking Awesome and terrifying. Uh, you know, that's uh, Peter Jackson says he wanted her to have like a WWF moment. 
So she's basically like to him, he's, she's like crawling on the steel cage on the, the, yeah, the steel cage match sort of. So (laughs) that's what, that's what inspired that. Yeah. He does a, that is a, did I tell you, did I, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the introduction, but I took my friend when this was in theater, she was going to see it and she had severe arachnophobia. Oh, and I was no. like, you know, this is the one. You know what's coming. And she's like, yeah, yeah. I know. She like, wa- like spent her time like tucked behind my shoulder for this entire <laughs> scene. It's a really good spider. It is it's I feel done like really well. And much his... scarier than the ones in The Hobbit, the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, with the bunny spiders? Yes. He does a really good job of like, although, I mean, this isn't as fantastical a creature because it's just... Essentially giant a spider. spider. And also um, he's a hobbit, so it doesn't have to be as giant to be. Yeah, she might be the size of a Volkswagen. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. still a big spider, though. <laughs> right. Yes, very big. But he he also, like, gives her enough care. Like, she has, like, got this, like, sort of, like, tumored face. And yeah. uh, she has a good amount of character to her She's where she just feels like shit. a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad it doesn't talk. I feel like... <laughs> Hello! Well... Name's I... Shelob! <laughs> Why is it all goofy? It's Peter Jackson's cousin. He it's the only voice he can do, and Peter needed, promised him. He, he promised he, him. He needed work. Okay, so who who all has beacons? We like the beacons oh for like God, twenty these minutes. Fucking beacons! It's insane. I remember that I audibly laughed in the theater because it just kept going, and to the point. So uh, in this story, I mean, uh, Gondor calls for Rohan's aid, and they have a, you know, there's mountains between them, so they have these beacons on top of the mountains. And, you know, your job as beacon tender uh, is to keep an eye out on the other beacons and then light your beacon if the beacon before you gets beaked. And he, it it is like a five-minute montage, and it's almost like Sideshow Bob and the Rakes, where it's funny, it's not funny anymore, and then it's the most wondrous thing you've ever experienced. (laughs) There's like a scene where there's a beacon on top of a mountain that's so tall that it's through the cloud cover, and I'm like, who would fucking see? See the beacon. It's for the eagles flying over. Like, <laughs> true. Okay, we're, we're here. We're a coming. Oh, I see the beacon. Qua here. Come here. You're the king of the eagles. Flap, flap, flap. That's them flapping their wings. While we're talking about things that maybe inadvertently made us laugh, should we get this out of the way? Are you talking about Sloth from the Goonies? No. We can talk about Home <laughs> Sloth. I prefer Krang. I'm talking about the bed scene. Yeah. The uh, denouement. Yeah. Oh, that's... Yes. Yes, absolutely. I think we... That's the first thing I thought of when we decided we were doing the Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Okay. To set the scene... Do you want to set, set the scene? Yeah, sure. I mean, the ring has been destroyed. It's an epilogue. Right. Frodo and Sam sort of are on the slopes of Mount Doom and they get rescued by Gandalf and the eagles. And take it easy. Oh, no. No. Let me die here. <laughs> Don Henley, the no, corner no. Wins. With your weird, raspy whisper voice. Have you ever heard him speak, like, in an interview or something? Don he Henley? Has, yeah. He has, like, the deepest fucking voice. It's insane. <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm Don Henley. And then he's like, take it easy. It's like, what is happening? I don't even know how you do that. So, yeah. So, when they're picked up by the eagles, Frodo wakes up in a bed in Minas Tirith, and he sees uh, say Gandalf at the food. F- what? <laughs> they're going to say Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> he wakes up in Minnesota. <laughs> 
Amy Klobuchar is there. Disgraced <laughs> Senator Al Franken is there. All your favorite Minnesotans. Captain Prince? Kangaroo, was he Minnesotan? Prince was still alive when this was filmed. He was there. Bob Dylan was there. Yeah. He said, call me Robert Zimmerman, though. Don't make a big deal out of it. If people find out I'm in Minnesota, they're going to, like, freak out. You don't have to call me that at home. <laughs> so he wakes up in Minas Tirith, and he sees uh, Gandalf at the foot of the bed. And now I'm just going to describe it as a normal scene. And he says, Gandalf, yeah. and Gandalf starts laughing, and they share a knowing laugh, and then all the fellowship comes in. But here's what makes it weird. It's a three-minute scene entirely in slow motion. I actually break down what makes it so awkward. Can I go into that? <laughs> Please. It's a three-minute scene. It is filmed in slow. It's filmed in slow motion, but there's also dialogue in it. So then the dialogue has to be re-recorded because otherwise Elijah Wood would be saying Gandalf. <laughs> so he has to. Elijah Wood re-records his dialogue, so he has to say it slowly. Gandalf. Like he's like ESL learning Gandalf's name in English for the first time, and then on top of that. Aside from Gandalf, the first people that come in are Merry and Pippin. They jump onto the bed. Start tickling, kind of. Start tickling. And I guess what I took it as is like they're telling their story. So like Pippin's like sort of reenacting yeah. uh, some of his adventure. And then Gimli comes in looking, one might say, completely deranged. <laughs> and then Legolas comes in, baby-faced with his formal dress blues on. And he gives like a weird knowing look. Like every here, here's the thing though. This isn't this scene's fault. Every time Orlando Bloom has a scene where he looks at another person in the eyes, it is sexual. I don't know if I'm bringing it to the movie or if he's bringing it to the movie, but it is always sexual. I can cite at least two other occasions where it's weirdly sexual. Let me let me weigh in on just that for a second, please. Because because I, like I said, I'm not you know I'm not Orlando Bloom doesn't particularly do anything for me. He's bringing Your it. loss. He's bringing it to the movie. <laughs> no, there is a weird thing. It's, I the am look. Not particularly, it's the look. I'm not particularly attracted to Orlando Bloom, but I am attracted to Legolas. It doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense, but Leggy, it does not transfer. Leggy. Yeah. So then, and then Aragorn comes in. He's chuckling, having a good time. And then... Um, <laughs> Uh, a slow then, laugh is always creepy anyway, so absolutely. everything just adds to it. It's a bit of a Ganondorf moment where he's a uh, uh, uh. Don't laugh like that. Then Sam comes in. He looks ashamed, and you just, don't know why. He's just out of the shower. That's guaranteed because <laughs> he's got the wet hair. Yeah. They had a big – this makes sense. They had a, you know, they had a rough adventure, and they were gross, and you know, they needed to take a bath. Like, absolutely. I'm not sure why we had to know that. <laughs> Maybe Sam didn't know that everyone was going over to Frodo's room, so he's like, I'm just going to take a shower. And then, like, there's, like, you know, Faramir's outside, and he's like, uh, they're all in, in Frodo's room. you got to get over there. And he's like, oh, shit, i got to put my tunic on. But then, <laughs> then there's a weird technical aspect that makes this weird, is that, of course, they have to film the hobbits together in the scene, and then they mm -hmm. film the people, the uh, taller people, Aragorn, Legolas, and, and Gandalf. Yeah. So they're just standing around the bed, not interacting with anyone, watching <sighs> Pippin and Mary like fall all over themselves, reenacting their adventure. But they're not reacting to anything that's going on. They're just standing there, laughing, looking blank-eyed into what I assume is nothing. <laughs> it's so weird, and I have never experienced some uh, as big a misstep in a movie that is generally pretty good. 
Like, this is a big, like, what were you thinking? Why what? is this scene here? And I don't want to, I'm not, don't want to pick on Peter Jackson. It's just like this stumble that almost calls attention to itself because you've, you've done perfectly fine. And then you like fucked up the dismount. It's this yeah. very awkward scene. It is so awkward. And it's so, he, you know how they're like, if you're going to make a mistake, make a big mistake. You know what I mean? They're like, if you're going to fuck up, just like commit to it and you can like use confidence to get through it. And it did not happen. He definitely tried that. He was like, I'm just going to go for this. I have this idea. I have this vision in my head because I want this to be, you know, the hobbits, the rest of the fellowship and through them, the audience have suffered so much. And I don't mean that these movies are bad. I just mean it's <laughs> a very bad, uh, a very long slog of an adventure, right? And we're mm -hmm. to the end of it. And I think what he was trying to go for, not to speak for Peter Jackson, was just the like the sheer elation of everyone's, well, not everyone, but like our our friends here are okay. And we want to celebrate, you know, we thought he was dead multiple times. We thought the entire world was going to be enveloped in evil and we were all going to be, you know, enslaved or killed. And we're so happy. And so like, he wanted to commit to that. It's like he went for the grand finale fireworks and they, it's like that one thing that happened a few years ago where they all exploded on the ground <laughs> and you're like, it is impressive, but not in the way that you meant. <laughs> It's impressively weird. It's so the opposite emotion that is obviously being attempted. It's ludicrous. It's, I mean, it's inappropriately hilarious. Um, it's and that's so it sexually it so, charged, too. And, and it's I, like, oddly sexually charged. There's yeah. a lot of... I mean, they're grown men hopping on beds. That's also kind of weird. Why is... Yeah. What is Sam ashamed of? Legolas, who did you fuck on the way here to meet your friend? <laughs> Everyone's got a little secret in that scene. Everyone's got a little secret. <laughs> Wait, I just want to talk about Legolas's um, fuck looks. He has another one in <laughs> the Two Towers when Aragorn was separated from the group and he comes back and uh, he looks Aragorn up and down. Then he says, you look terrible. But he looks him up and down. I was like, I've seen that look before. <laughs> But not in Helm's Deep, personally. And then there's in the, in the coronation scene, Legolas comes up with the other uh, group of elves, and he's at the front, and again yeah. in his formal dress blues. And he looks, he puts his arm on uh, Aragorn's shoulder, and then he like looks slyly over his right shoulder, and. If you continue watching the scene, as you would, why would you stop it here? He's talking, he's like, Ar Arwen is right here. But it looks yeah. like, why don't you and I get out of this coronation? Yeah, it and, looks like he's like, find a little nodding to here the, in Minas yeah. Tirith. It's <laughs> such a fuck me face. It really is. It really is. I think, I think we're done with that scene, but I just, <laughs> like, it is worth this amount of time because, like... For better, I mean, for worse, but I mean, <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one who, this is one of the main things I remember about the trilogy. Like, I remember, like, good battles. I remember being a lot of maybe, uh, maybe too much Hobbit simpering. I remember, <laughs> I remember Gollum. I remember, oh, the, the, the creepy dude with the teeth. He was not even, he, that's not in the theatrical cut. Who's the creepy dude with the teeth? Oh, the, the uh, mouth of Sauron? Yeah. Yeah. He, he wasn't in this, right? No. So that's just in the special extended edition. Yeah. The AA. Well, I remember that from when we watched it, then I guess. I don't even mm -hmm. remember that from the theatrical. 
But and then, I remember and, as, a, as a nerd, I was like, oh, they're going to cut out the mouth of Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> and they did. And I remember this. Like, those are the main things I remember. And that's really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I, I don't think it's something that pops in my head when I think of the trilogy, but it is something that pops in my head when it's like, well, it's time for, well, we've watched the other two, time for Return of the King. Oh, that bedroom scene. Yeah. <laughs> It's not important enough to sink the movie, but it is long enough to be like, boy, this you're really committing to this miss. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird because, I mean, a lot of the other scenes in the 20-minute denouement are, are effective in the same emotion. Like the you bow to no one. I got hot eyes in my, in my eyes, obviously. In my yeah. face, I guess I should say. Hot <laughs> eyes in my face during the coronation scene. And, and even, you know, Sam coming back from uh, the Grey Havens and even the Grey Havens. Those are all scenes that work. This is just such a, a stumble. Yeah. All right. Let's leave Peter Jackson alone. We're mean. It feels mean. He probably already knows. He's like, yes, I know. Yeah. We've flagellated that scene enough, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It's just such a weird thing. I said here, I don't know what I'm talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about when I said Gandalf used his Nazgul spray bottle? (laughs) Uh, I think that's when he's riding out. (laughs) He's riding out to save Faramir. Faramir is running back from Osgiliath and the Nazgul are sort of chasing after him. And he uses like a beam of light that comes from his staff. And the Nazgul like, ah! It was like it when was Tippi, very much when like, Tippi get gets the on the couch. furniture. <laughs> <laughs> this was an important thing to note, and in, in my notes, the Gollum shows Frodo and Sam the back way. There's a set of quote unquote stairs. Yes, which are not stairs. <laughs> there are there there are maybe stairs in that path, but it is definitely not stairs. It is climbing a you don't you don't. There are not, like, stairs to the top of Mount Everest. There's a path. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think they are, I mean, they are cut into the, in the book at least, they are cut into the mountain. But they stress me out in the book, in this movie. Apparently, Sean Astin had a hard time with them. They are, like, literally, it's, freaky, it's like yeah. a step, and then a foot up, it's another, like, cut, and you sort of, like, have to pull yourself up. But it's, yeah. it gives me anxiety every time I read it and every time I watch it. There's a moment where, so when Frodo like chases Sam away because Gollum has framed him, said he ate all the food, and obviously Frodo is not in his right mind too because of the ring. And Cause, Sam, cause the ring, because the ring. I don't know if you know this, but uh, it's Sauron's ring. <laughs> Eagle-eyed viewers will catch that it's Sauron's <laughs> ring. So uh, at one point, Sam like stumbles down and to say he stumbles down the stairs really undersells it he like falls down several oh yards of of mountainside you can see minas morgul the the dead city like underneath them yeah and i'm like what there's even a scene where like frodo and sam are asleep and frodo i mean i used to be a cub scout frodo is not maintaining a safe distance from the edge of that cliff like oh, he, no. his half his cheek is like off the edge of the cliff why would mm-hmm. you sleep like that it just it's, doesn't make much sense. I have this thing, and I don't, I don't think this is necessarily normal, but when I see people fall down like a hill or a mountainside like this, like, I mm-hmm. hurt, it like physically pains me. I don't know what it is about that because it's, I don't like watching someone like break an arm in a movie or whatever, but that doesn't like, I don't feel that. But for some reason, when I see people like tumbling down roughly, 
it like it makes me have like visceral pain and that that scene was like ow well you've probably fallen down before maybe i yeah maybe it's the memory i think I have that's what it like the visceral like memory of like i've never been shot so i can watch people just get gunned down in a action movie <laughs> over and over and over again <laughs> but like if someone like you know breaks their hand on a, or cuts their hand on a piece of glass i'm like ooh <laughs> this movie should be rated r when somebody hits their shin on a coffee table i'm like mother <laughs> That's also when Sam finds the elven bread. Oh yeah, the 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 mystery's been solved. <laughs> this crazy person who's been trying to drive everyone away may have actually been lying. I'm sure I'm not the first person to notice this, but the the ghosts also have a very haunted mansion at Disney World <laughs> vibe to them because they sometimes you can see their face and sometimes it's skull. Like yeah, it's it very a, like three D. Old cool school. effect where they if, well, like if he uh, gets mad like you see his skull more and if he's I don't know sharing tea with you you see his face more <laughs> he's a pretty chill ghost king <laughs> uh, <laughs> ooh, while we're sort of near the stairs Minis Morgul first off has one of me and my brother's favorite lines which is that's that city where they see the, the, the army come marching shot. out no, that's okay. the dead. The dead. Oh, okay. Oh, these are people. Oh, this is a different city than that. Yeah, I thought that was the dead city. No, Minas Morgul is where the Nazgul like flies out, and uh, the armies come forth. Oh. It's right by the stairs when they start climbing up. I thought that was the same city. Oh no, no, because it looks the same. It's green. It's, it's green. <laughs> it's got the green stuff. So why is that one green? Just because it's got the laser beam that goes straight to the I think it's supposed roof? to be more gross <laughs> than anything. I think it's supposed to be white. It used to be the sister city of Minas Tirith. Oh. So it's supposed to look a little bit like that. But it wasn't green like... it. Uh, I need to... Like, it looks like it's glowing. Yeah. Green. Yeah, 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 right. I never thought that someone could mistake them. I'm not saying that you're wrong, but right. I think these movies, I'm always curious like what they read to a person who doesn't know where these places are in relation right. to each yeah. other. So when they're there, that laser beam, first off, scared the shit out of me in the theater. Yeah. I remember the bass when it comes yeah. up is so loud. Also, That's how you know they're having a sale because they like, shoot them. <laughs> 15% off all because we're about to destroy the city. So come on in. <laughs> Nazgul talk. They're all from Brooklyn. <laughs> so I remember that. I also, uh, one of my favorite lines, me and my brother like to say this whenever we encounter someone we don't like. Uh, Gullum, when he sees the city for the first time, he says, uh, it's full of enemies. <laughs> and Whoa. so me and my brother, whenever we would see like, you know, a Republican convention, we'd say it's full <laughs> of enemies. <laughs> Who says that? When the Gollum says that. Oh, okay. It's full of enemies. He gives this weird pause, like just really driving out the camp of it's full of enemies. <laughs> and uh, speaking of, uh, just in relation to that laser, I also remember that the sound effects of the fucking mace that the Witch King carries. Oh, yeah. I remember I could feel it in my chest in the theater. Yeah. But it was so heavy that it made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, this is also the introduction, or not the introduction, but we, we see the full evolution of Frode the Load here. Pretty much yes. becoming a complete waste of space. <laughs> uh, pretty yeah. much he's, he's a jewelry box, essentially, that you have to move across the planes. Yeah. This is one of my larger points, but I'll say it now. I think we talked last time that they had to change the two towers a lot 
in order because Two Towers book, Frodo and Sam's story actually ends with Shelob's lair and you know right. Frodo being taken in by orcs and Sam realizing that Frodo, who he thought was dead, was actually alive. And so they move Shelob where she is chronologically where it actually happens in the books. She is like happening at the same time that Minas Tirith is being attacked. But you also, like, because they move it around to be chronologically accurate, you lose this whole, like, story of Frodo and Sam moving across Mordor together, which I think is, especially watching it this time, I thought was really weird because I think the last half of this movie is almost indecipherable as to what is happening. It just, uh, people seem to be making decisions willy-nilly. Aragorn's like, I've got an idea. In order to buy Frodo some time, let's take every man we have and take it to the gates of Mordor to be surrounded by orcs and trolls so to divert attention away from Mordor. I'm like, but if you lose this battle, there won't be a civilization left to save because you'll all be dead. Right. I don't understand. And the extended edition explains it a little bit better, and the book, of course, explains it a lot more. But I, I'm like, why would I, this doesn't? This plan makes no sense. It did seem like it did seem like a last ditch to me. That's how I read it. Right. This I think time. that's what they're they're going for. But it does. It it seems like like Gimli even states like, well, let him stay there. And I guess the idea of like, let's take all the power we have and. And hopefully, I hope that Frodo is in Mordor because yeah, they otherwise, have no, this plan doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, they have no confirmation. Although they did get a small amount of confirmation from from Faramir, from Faramir that they that they were like on their way because they right. had left them with Gollum. Yeah, in the book, it's it's explained like uh, Aragorn takes the Palantir and sort of exposes himself to Sauron, which sort of forces Sauron to be like more paranoid and like is that the. Uh, Crystal ball. The crystal ball. But then also on the Mordor half, you have this place that they've been talking about for the entire trilogy, and it feels like you're in it for like five minutes because they're just like, all right, we just got to walk past these rocks and we're on the mountainside. Plus, like, Frodo goes from like speaking coherent sentences when he comes out of the tower to like waving at things in front of his face, like over a course of like five minutes. Whereas in the book, it's a lot more like a slow progression of him just becoming more and more incoherent, like just completely burdened by the ring. And then it's not that it's not clear. It's just like so fast that there's no like progression. Also, I think what you lose is that Sam, I think Sam gets a lot of heroic moments in this, but in the book, it becomes clear that Sam is the hero of the Lord of the Rings. Like, he is pretty much directing, like, here's our strategy. Here's how we're going to get there. You do this. I'm going to go search for water. He, like, really takes the lead in it, uh, and it's really, like, it's really charming to me. And I don't think you get that same effect. You get, like, hints of it, but I feel like... It could have been stronger if they just... I don't think they have to be committed to, oh, well, Shelob absolutely has to happen when Minas Tirith is happening. Just move her to the end of Two Towers. Who cares? Well, yeah, with, and with the Sam thing, like, the sort of premise was broken a little bit in this because the premise is Frodo has, has taken on this burden and no one else can do it. And Sam fucking pockets the ring for... We don't know how long because Frodo's out because he's been poisoned and <laughs> right. and egg sacked by the uh, by the he's even, spider. Even in the in the book he even wears the ring for a little bit to infiltrate yeah. into the tower. Oh wow. So like 
That's, I'm not saying, you know, we don't really know whether Sam could have bore that burden for as long as Frodo did, but like, he does just fine and probably could have taken it the rest of the way to, to Frodo, Mordor. Frodo, why don't you go home? Yeah. Why don't you find the fucking water while I, <laughs> you know, it's like a fresh set of legs, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes you gotta tag in. Yeah, it's like a relay. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's just something, because I just finished the book a few few days ago that that struck me, is that the story, at least their half of the story, is really about Sam becoming the hero. Right. Uh, it kind of reminded me of Game of Thrones a little bit, but without someone being beheaded, where it's like the person you thought was the hero is not the hero, and it's this right. other person. Right. I really I did, liked that. Not to def- <laughs> d- d- defend that Sorry, too much. I sort of turned into a fight. I really liked that. That was a good thing. It was really, really, really good. <laughs> I mean, it's also one of those... Uh, yada yada story things where you're like this is the way it has to be and as an audience member you just have to go okay yeah. like it has to be frodo because otherwise you're just going to be like why well i mean like whatever you need movie it's like i don't know because i'm writing this and you're reading it fuck you <laughs> it's the uh uh rohan cavalry sure saunters into place when they arrive don't they oh yeah they know how to <laughs> they know how to line up People are just being slaughtered. The, the, the good guys are losing. And the cavalry <laughs> shows up and then just sort of poses on top of the mountain. Well, you got to get, uh, get your little hype going. You got to get a little bit of your song. You got to give Krang an opportunity to sort of get his people into place. <laughs> we also got but that, that scene, this battle. So Lauren was half watching this while, while the whole trilogy while I'm watching and she got up to like do some dishes or something. And so all she had was the, the audio and, all, and <laughs> once she noticed this, I couldn't help but notice, but all that is is yelling cause it's people charging into battle. And so they're just like, ah! and then another person's like, ah! and they're like, ah! and she's like, what is happening? And then I'm like, now that you brought it up, I can't, Stop noticing it. And it's really funny. So we were just at our house watching this movie, shouting at each other across the kitchen. It was a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. I think you were an hour ahead of me, so I also noticed because you texted me that that was happening in your house, and then I noticed it during that that Rohirrim speech. I really liked King Theoden's, oh, brother, look when the Nazgul comes for him. (laughs) He's like, ah, oh, shit. I, forgot. He gives I was like so a busy fuck. with the Oliphants, I forgot about the Nazgul. <laughs> if I had a fucking nickel. <laughs> it's so funny because he dies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He does have that uh, face. I imagine it was the same face when the Titanic went down on his watch. Does the Nazgul black hole implosion thing happen in the book? Well, in the, in the book he's described, he takes off his hood and he's literally just a crown floating above nothing with mm. eyes. So it's eyes, a crown, otherwise no head. Weird. So she stabs into, into his head, his non-head, but I don't think he implodes. He just like the, the, the garb turns to dust or the garb just like collapses. His clothes just are empty. It just seems weird that like... The magical creatures, like these, like, I mean, I guess they're just, I don't know, like, she just stabs him in the head. There's nothing sort of magical about it. Like, his, his death is magical, but it's just like, 
it's because no man can kill me? Is, it, is that why? I mean, there's so much more <laughs> to it, but it's all not covered really in the movie. So I think yeah. the movie would say, yeah, the prophecy was that no man could kill him and she is no man. Ah, uh, okay. That's why she says, I am no, no man. man. The, Which the, got cheers in my theater. The juxtaposition of her. So they have her wearing this like pretty, pretty, it's like a little bit too big of a helmet for her. And so you literally just see her eyes and her mouth. You can't see her nose or like her, her brow. It's, it's very funny because she keeps getting freaked out and you can see just her, her giant eyes. I liked yeah. it. I like, it's very undercutting, but you know, obviously she's very brave and ends up killing an Nazgul. It's, it's, it's nice, but it's like also kind of funny at the same time. It's a, uh, I, I really like that scene. By intention, um, I think. Yeah. Right. I think that's, again, his, like, horror uh, thing. Because then she, like, gets her, hand, her arm crushed by that fucking mace. That fucking mace. Ugh, yeah. You want to be careful with those maces. Plus, although I have to mace. hand it to her, she chopped off that fucking dinosaur's head with just, like, what? Yeah. Two swipes? I yeah. can't cut through an onion because I don't sharpen my <laughs> knives properly. But she's fucking cutting through a dinosaur's spinal column yeah. with a fucking paring knife. That was pretty badass because that is a very scary, it's one of the scariest creatures in this series, I think, is the Nazgul dragon thing. <laughs> it's called yeah. a I Actually, I don't think they give him, even Tolkien doesn't even really give him a name. They're, I remember we talked about this last time. They're the, the ev- Sauron's evil answer to the eagles. Yes. The Evkulth, we call them. <laughs> And it's like really freaky and coming at her, and then she just slices it the fuck. She up. just dodges out of the way and cuts his head off. Circumcision, and it no. left her a little heart container. <laughs> Banana. What do you think of evil Frodo? So, <laughs> right at the end, Frodo the load. He says, "I'm not fucking doing this." Puts, gives the evilest face that Elijah Wood has made since the Good Son. And oh, yeah. puts on the ring. Wait, he was the good son in that one. Was he? Wow, you really made me think <laughs> about the, the geopolitical ramifications of the good son. When you think about it, aren't we all the bad son? <laughs> aren't we all disappointing our fathers? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he gives a, a little bit of a coy, I'm going to fuck this all up <laughs> look. <laughs> To, to Sam, who also has kind of a, a mirror of Theoden's, ah, fucking shit, face. <laughs> oh, boy. I, mean, I knew it was going to happen, but I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, very. And then he puts that fing- ring on his index finger. Don't be weird. Um, and then Gullum. <laughs> Gullum comes in. He's like, I know this song and dance. Let me just hop on the place two feet above the footprints. And, uh, <laughs> and bite find- where a finger would be. <laughs> Feel out for a hand. Find the finger. It's pretty clever, actually. How did, how did Gollum survive a fall down a steep cliff? Because Frodo chucks him off a cliff into... <laughs> darkness it's far also, enough down yeah, that you cannot see a wrestling move where he just sort of kicks him off yeah just full-on suplexes uh, yeah i mean that uh, i guess i would i would argue that maybe you know Gollum has spent 600 years living in caves maybe he can sort of he's learned he's a, uh yeah enough he's, of uh free climbing free solo climbing tricks that he can stop himself he's sort of like also powered almost more by the desire for the ring than his actual 
person. Also, Hobbit Hood at that point. Jetpacks. Also, he has a hidden jetpack. <laughs> I forgot to mention this when we were talking about it, but I have a quote from Lauren about the bed jumping scene. Oh my God, it gets so much sexier than I ever imagined. <laughs> and she's not wrong. I have a line from the Paths of the Dead, not the City of the Dead, but the Paths of the Dead scene where uh, Gimli says, you got to face it. We're going with you, laddie. And Aragorn gives this face and it's like almost like a Sex in the City face where it's like, <laughs> you guys, I do not deserve you as friends. <laughs> No, I wanted to address one big thing or two big things before I go go anywhere else. Before I before I fucking leave. <laughs> one is that while the extended edition does cover it, and I know there are people who are gonna you say, well, actually it's in the extended edition. Any other day of the year, I'd be on your side. Well, actually, it's the extended edition, people. But today I am well in the theatrical edition. It's not in there. And that yeah. is Saruman does not get an end to his story. It's yeah. so weird of a choice. We talked about, we touched on that there is a huge epilogue that the movies cut out, and I right. can certainly understand why they do. And that is the end of Saruman's story in the books. Is he, he has taken over Bag End and essentially the Shire and gets stabbed in the back by Grim Wormtongue. And, but in this, in the extended edition, there is a scene at, or, at, uh, I was about to say Orthanc, which is its name, but I'll call it Isengard for the sake of clarity. <laughs> At Isengard where, you know, Gandalf essentially says, hey, you fucked up. You're no longer a wizard. Get the fuck out of here. You're fired. Leave your keys. <laughs> Yeah. Leave your keys at the point of sale and, you know, don't come back here anymore. And they just cut it out. And they're just sort of like, ah, Saruman's okay. You keep an eye on everything, Treebeard. Bye. It's so weird that you would not have... I mean, Sauron is your primary antagonist in the movies, but Saruman is actually a person who, you know, walks around and actually seems threatening because he's not just a fucking eye uh, on top of a tower. Eye. Yeah. Plus, like, you have, like, Christopher Lee playing him. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, just give him more screen time. Yeah. Or death I don't know. Scene. It's just one of the more inexplicable choices in this, and it kind of is... It kind of because I we talked about in the other two that I feel like the the choices the the deleted scenes that are included in the extended editions in the other two, like they're kind of for fans. And if you want more Lord of the Rings, like here it is, but it's yeah. not it's not like in, in important to the plot. And I feel like this one starts to be. It feels like the choices they cut are a little bit more cynical because it feels like they actually are affecting the understanding of the plot and the conclusion to stories for certain characters. And I feel like it is one of the pieces of Lord of the Rings legacy that I kind of wince at, because I feel like now we are mm. in an era where movies are released and then directors are like, well, actually, you need to read the manga that we also released with this. And if you've been following on our Twitter feed, you'll find out that actually Kylo Ren has a very important story that was going on during Rise of Skywalker that we didn't get a chance to go into. And if you'd like to buy a lot of subsidiary you know, art direction books, we could be happy to go into that. I'm like, if you aren't telling your story in the movie, you are not telling your story. Story. Yeah. And I feel like that yeah. is, this is the first one of the three where it feels like the cuts they made were to sell more extended edition DVDs. Do you really think that's, that's why they cut that out? Cause I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, now that you're saying it, I'm like, oh yeah, what did happen to him? Cause I just sort of, 
because they kind of yada yada at the at the beginning of this movie of like yeah this they have like his the crystal ball thing they yada yada him in a way that if you were watching any other movie you'd be like keep an eye out <laughs> he's yeah, coming like, back he's gonna be like the blonde guy in die hard where he's like right, covering right. the sheet and he just pops out of nowhere that's true i guess i guess i saw it like he was such a big part of the first two movies, but the, he was like a mini boss, and we're we've moved beyond him. <laughs> you don't think you don't think about what happened to to uh, Don Flamenco or what's his name? Uh, well, you don't think no, about Don what happened. Don Flamenco, that is correct. It yeah. is as offensive as you think it is. <laughs> I was trying to think of one somebody from Punch Out who wasn't offensive, and there isn't one. You don't. <laughs> Not an option, I'm afraid. You don't Glass think about Joe. Yeah, you don't think about Glass Joe once you pass him, right? You you move on uh, until you fight him in the welterweight later. I guess. So you're saying that it, Saruman, I wouldn't get a heart container, but I would get the hook shot once I defeated him. Yes. Yeah. When okay. you're in his dungeon, you know, <laughs> you have to use the skills you learned in that dungeon. Mm-hmm. And half of the dungeon will be inaccessible, and you're like, why can't I get to that one half of the dungeon? Then you fight Saruman, you get a hook shot, and you're like, boom, got it. Despite being the kind of person who complains about the length of these movies, I didn't, I felt like it moved pretty well for the most part. And I think part of it is because of the cynical cuts. Because they're like, I think, I, you know, I think honestly, they probably could have been more aggressive. Because it was, it did move a, a couple of parts or slow, and you know, of course, there's the bed scene. You could have just cut most of that, but but you know, stuff like that is like cutting Saruman. I didn't, I just didn't miss it. I like love, would love to have seen more Christopher Lee, and and I I do remember because I've watched the extended editions with you. It's been many years, so I don't remember what's in which version now. But I didn't feel like I missed anything. I guess that's, it just seems, it just seems like he is, he's very important, but just not in this movie. He's just such a big antagonist (laughs) in the first two. And there's almost like a, a wishy-washy-ness about him in the, in the third one. And, uh, I guess as a book fan, I'm like, it doesn't feel like this is a good conclusion for this character because it leads you to believe like, oh, he's alive in the tower and he will escape. And then right. he'll have the conclusion he does in the books, which he also doesn't do. So it just, it feels like this weird loose thread that I don't even feel, because it in, in the extended edition, it happens in the beginning of the movie before, you know, everything's ramped up, that it yeah. feels like a, an understandable place for it to be. I don't know. It just, it just seems like an odd place that your secondary antagonist just does not get a good conclusion to his story, at least in my opinion. Well... <laughs> the last thing I wanted to say was two quick notes about the coronation is that the coronation really captures the awkwardness of someone starting to sing unprompted, which uh, when Aragorn starts singing, we get and two examples gets, of that gets uh, quiet. And then Ar- Aragorn and Arwen's kiss is actually surprisingly good. And is the first time that I felt that people in middle earth actually fucked. <laughs> other than, like, other than Legolas and anybody. Well, of course. Anytime like anyone's in a room with Legolas, you know, their grinder is just chirping at them and they're like, Legolas, we're actually fighting a battle right now. The grinder <laughs> joke for the, the queer people out there. Okay, thanks. <laughs> uh, do you want to definitely talk about- didn't get it, so <laughs> wouldn't even know what that uh, app costs on the uh, on the app store if I wanted to get grinder extra. I don't even know what that would cost. You want to transition to talking about the trilogy as a whole? Yeah, I'll, I'll do. A, I'll sing a quick song. Um, and we go. 
to the trilogy as a whole. Oof. This coronation's running long. Maybe we can get a beer. <laughs> gonna talk about <clears throat> all three movies. Yeah, I just wanted Americano. Uh, I didn't know it was open night mic night. I just wanted <laughs> just wanted to get an Americano. I guess I'll start with the one I've already like showed my hand on is that there I feel like the this one I you might I think you disagree with me but I feel like there is a little bit of a cynicism to this one in terms of like some of the extras that got sort of mm-hmm. kept for the extended edition and that is a trend I really do not enjoy in in big movies right now where you know a movie I mean, Rise of Skywalker, I started to get really annoyed by all the extra stuff that kept coming out. Emperor's back. Remember that? No, I mean, after the movie came out, they were like, oh, sorry, we didn't really go into Knights of Ren, so here's all their their story stuff. I'm like, who cares now? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's just like it felt like every other week there was a a new story about uh, some clarification about the story of Star Wars. I'm like, no, no, you already failed at your chance of telling the story of of this sequel trilogy. Stop bothering me with it. And I feel like I don't think that Marvel has necessarily fallen into this trap yet, although now is the only time where I have not been able to keep up with Marvel because I don't have Disney, Disney mm. Plus. So I'm scared that once the movies really start getting back into full gear, it'll be like, oh, you don't, oh, that's a WandaVision reference. So you probably won't understand that if you didn't. Oh, you've not been watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Oh, sorry. Well, that, that really would make a lot more sense if, if you knew that part. There's already sort of a language in Marvel movies where I can tell that something's being referenced even when I don't know what it is and I can just turn to you and be like, why did they linger on that? (laughs) What is that? And you'll be what? like, oh, well, uh, in, in uh, the uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, they uh, sort of go into uh, how blah, 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 blah. I, well, can't how- even, I can't even fake this stuff that comes out of this. <laughs> well, half the shit I, like, I don't remember. I'm not as good at, like, because you actually are reading these books along with it. So, like, it's, it's a little different than my experience with comic books because I did read them, but I, I don't actively read them anymore. Well, there's so, so many more now. They stopped making Lord. They said, we're right. done now. Thank you. <laughs> right. But even the like the comics that the movies are based on, if it's based on loosely on a storyline or like, right. in, oh, in Ultimate Spider-Man, I did this. Like, I probably didn't read that because, you know, I read for one, you know, a lot of comic books for one, like, four-year period of time when I was a teenager. And then a little bit after that, but mostly not. And everything else has been Wikipedia just like you, you know? And, like, and <laughs> well, I don't it feels really... like when a movie, a Marvel movie comes out, there's always at least one article that I stumble upon on Slate or something. And it's yeah. like, let's explain that post-credit sequence. Like, yeah. <laughs> like we all need to be, like, brought into the loop. And it I... always feels a little obnoxious. Well, I think, like, uh, that whole experience can really cut both ways. And that goes for Lord of the Rings too, where just like we were talking about before, it can enrich your experience. It can just yeah. flesh out the world that like, oh, I thought that was really interesting. I want to find out more about that, but it didn't really need to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like you get the gist of it without knowing like who has the other rings. You know what I mean? Like that's just interesting thing to fill in, but it can really easily cut the other way where you're like this. I don't understand why the motivations of this character because I don't know this background information because they cut it out of the movie because it was too long right. or because, you know, it just wasn't an action scene or something like that. Like, 
you know, why does Legolas want to get down with everyone he sees? Like, is there something behind his backstory that I don't know? I mean, if you look like Legolas, wouldn't you? I mean, of all the of all Middle Earth, you know, races, it seems like elves like to fuck the most. <laughs> Yeah, probably. I mean, they're all in the woods, you know, just hanging out with their long hair, their beautiful skin. Why wouldn't they? Some of them look like Orlando Bloom. Some of them look like Liv Tyler. Some look like Hugo Weaving. In the That's Hobbit actually, trilogy, we find out some of them look like Lee Pace. At the, uh, and, and, you know, you see the elven uh, engravings in some of their clothing and their artifacts, and it also just says DTF, like, repeated. <laughs> it just has their stats and what they're into. Oh, speaking of engraving, I just had to say, at one point you see the engraving on the, the sword of Shmeshmesh, mm-hmm. and I swear to God it says I'm thinking Arby's. I, <laughs> I saw it. I'm, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to freeze frame it. I'm not going to promise anybody anything, but I think it might be a, you know penises on the front of the Little Mermaid uh, video cassette kind of thing. Somebody snuck it in there. <laughs> Good mood food. What if Elrond, when he was going to deliver the sword, he just wrote it. He didn't have any paper on him. And he's like, <laughs> on the way back, I want to stop at Arby's. I don't want to forget this. <laughs> I don't want to forget it. So I'm just going to, I got my little chisel here. I'm just going to sort of hammer it into the sword. Aragorn won't know the difference. He's never fucking seen this sword before. Because I know by then I won't be thinking Arby's. So I got to remind because myself. It, because its new name is N. Enduril, by the way. I looked it up while we were recording. Enduril. Enduril is Narsil's new name. Narsil becomes Narsil. Enduril. Exactly. Sure. Also known as Flame of the West. <laughs> okay. 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 Uh, the other legacy I wanted to talk about, and I think this goes into like Peter Jackson's ability to tell this story because it can be really convoluted if you're not careful. Yeah. Uh, and I think... I don't know if it's the first time I really noticed art direction in a real way, but I feel like this, the legacy, at least for movies as a whole, is that art direction can do like a huge like yeah. lift in terms of like telling your story without having to like explain who begat who and, you know, who lived here before. I mean, I think they really do a great job of like making places look unique. Yeah. Right. They may do a great job of like being able to identify here is an elvish, you know, place and here's a dwarvish place and here's a place of men really well. And I think that's just a sign of just great art direction. I think they they yeah. great get great silhouettes. They I think of like Weathertop, which is where Frodo in the first movie gets stabbed uh, on the hilltop by one of the by one of the Nazgul and if you're a nerd like me, you know it was a former Numenorean outpost that also hosted a Palantir, like the crystal balls, as you like to call them. And uh, if you're like, if you know that history, you will see that they built it in a way that does kind of like all these. It's like a circular room that like Stonehenge. is like a ruin. Yeah, it has the Stonehenge look, and there's a big platform where a Palantir would sit. But it doesn't have to like have Aragorn sit down and tell you all this. There's just like something that if you're a smart or a, not a smart fan, but if you're a fan, you can catch pick up on those things without having to have it like laid out for you. Oh, and I think that's that's the big legacy of these movies that, or one of the big legacies of these movies is just like how putting a lot of concentration to those type of touches can really like pay off dividends and make your world feel a lot more real without having to like go into. And in this year of the Shire reckoning, this happened. I think it just does a really good yeah. job of knowing what to 
speak aloud and knowing what can be built into the sets and knowing what to just sort of toss completely. Even when yeah. I was playing like Breath of the Wild, mm. I remember like in every other Zelda game, a ceramic pot looks the same no matter where in Hyrule you are. But in Breath of the Wild, they depending on what culture made it, it looks different. Mm. So like a Rito uh, ceramic pot looks different than a Zora ceramic pot. And I was like, this feels Lord of the Ringsy to me. Right. Yeah. They were like in inside the world. They were like committed yeah. to. Yeah. And I think, it even can be like a preternatural thing where you don't even notice it, but it just makes it feel more real. Right. Lived in. Mm. Do you want to go to the verdict? You know what? I do. But I can no, I can't actually carry you. No, you can because I mean, you just if you just keep me here long enough, I'm in the verdict. I'm just gonna We're carry the in whole. the verdict. Okay, go, go ahead. What, do you want to go your do your verdict first? I think I said in the introduction that this one might be the weakest of the three, and I think I still stand by that one. There are a lot of cuts that I've already sort of railed against. Mm-hmm. Having also just reread the the book, I I think the scouring of the Shire, which is the the epilogue that gets cut out is underrated. And I, I think you could add it into a, a remade Lord of the Rings, but I think you'd have to hint at it a lot more throughout the story because it does come as a surprise. I just want to say that. I think it could be done. It gets cut out of every version of the story, but what, what do you mean good... you, you could hint at it? So like in the, in the, in the book, you, when they get back to the Shire, it's completely destroyed and it's been overrun by Saruman. He, gloats and he does it out of like pure pettiness like he's already been like ruined his power has been taken from him and just out of pure spite he has like ruffian men like cut down all the trees in the shire like Mm. pure dick move you find out that throughout when the when the hobbits have been away some of the hobbit some of the (laughs) this is so complicated anyway they started trading with Isengard and Isengard was only too eager to trade with them because they knew that the hobbits came from the Shire. So they eventually start sending ruffian men who eventually like take over the Shire from the hobbits and sort of create this little fiefdom. And then when when Saruman like escapes Isengard, he goes there and and hangs out and and then has all these trees cut down and then just gets stabbed on the steps of Bag End. That being said, what I mean by hinting at it is that it comes as a surprise at the end of the story, which if you've been waiting for the ring to get destroyed and then if you're watching a movie and then you're like, oh, and there's a whole new story beat? Great. Right. I feel like if you could hint at it throughout the trilogy that things aren't as they should be in the Shire, like just a scene here and there like throughout right. the the trilogy... The audience would know. Wait, there's still some thread hanging out there that we I'm need just, to resolve. You know when Gandalf visits uh, Frodo in the beginning, and he's like, can't fit in the in his house. <laughs> That's all I'm picturing is poor is Saruman like being like, hey, I took over this tiny hole that I can't fit in. Like, he's got like bruises just, all over his forehead. Just get a house. Wherever, anywhere else. No, I'm staying here for reasons. He like digs little sunroofs in it just so he can get his <laughs> little pointy wizard out through it. <laughs> I don't know. It, uh, I think that the twist of the Return of the King is that Sam is the hero, and you also find out that Saruman is the real villain because Saruman should have known better the entire time. 
This will all be cut out. I feel like I'm just rambling like a meth. <laughs> that being said, this movie's great. I think it's the weakest of the three, but I think it's still pretty good. I feel like, though, I would recommend that someone watch the extended edition rather than the theatrical edition, whereas the previous two, I would say you'd be fine Don't watching the it. theatrical edition. There's a couple jokes I missed from the extended edition that were pretty like, good. Oh, like what jokes? I just re- like I don't remember what they are. I just remember there's like moments that I can see why they cut, but that they were funny. Is it like Legolas like and Gimli getting drunk or yes. having a drinking game? <laughs> yes, like and like little character beats. Which yeah, like I said, I can see why they cut them, but I do uh, like they're pretty fun. But you're in a child is not an idiot. Is what I'm getting around to. Whoa. What? And <laughs> by the way, let me just check the scoreboards here. That's uh, your inner child's not an idiot for Fellowship of the Ring. Your inner child's not an idiot for Two Towers. And your inner child's not an idiot for Return of the King. And that all adds up to your inner child's an idiot. Oh. I don't even know how that would work. It's the like East a negative. German judge, he's always tr- He's always tough on these things. It's like a negative number. You multiply every other one. <laughs> so it's three. So this is really interesting. I, I agree with you that this is... In a vacuum by itself, like this movie is the weakest one, but it it does give you a lot of payoff for the trilogy. So I had some of my favorite moments in this movie because we get the, like, I I feel like the the big battle pays it off. The Shilob scene, the spider in the cave is really great. You get to just see sort of like the end of so many storylines, even though we're missing Saruman's, which I know irks you. There's like, yeah, there's, there's some pretty cool battle things and it, you get to see a, a Nazgul stabbed in the head. You get to see one of his dragons. <laughs> you know, these things have terrorized our, our heroes the whole movie and you get to see them fucked up. You get to see Sauron like explode. Yeah, just crumble like, to the turns ground. turns into a pain prick and then he... Yeah, and then and that explosion kills all the orcs and stuff. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a pretty good payoff. It's exactly what you want from the big bad dying at the end. I remember, I think I said this in the introduction, but I remembered in the theater when that tower starts crumbling and it starts crumbling really slowly. Yeah. People just started cheering like maniacally in my theater. Yeah. And <laughs> we talked about the, the, obviously the, the, um, epilogue bed miss, but generally <laughs> speaking, like this whole trilogy, it could have easily gone very badly. I mean, he had, yeah. a, he had a fuckload of money to work with cause this was big budget. At the time, like one of the biggest. It was big budget, but it was a smaller budget than they expect that you, they thought you would. I mean, he did it on the cheap, whatever that right, means right. for three giant blockbuster movies. Well, and um, he filmed it all at once, which is really fairly unprecedented for a movie of this scale, at least. And you can tell that he loved the source material, that he really wanted. And I think that's not a guarantee that you're going to do a good job, but he he cared so much for for doing right by the story. He cared so much for doing right by the characters. And, and I think that's really important for something like this because it could have easily, you know, it definitely dipped its toe in cheesy moments and, and some misses there, you know, it's not, they're not perfect movies by any means. And there are a lot of, I still think there's even in the theatrical cut, there's a lot of unnecessary flab um, (laughs) that could be shut down. I don't, I'm not saying these all need to be 90 minute movies. I'm just saying, we don't need to see that many l- furtive looks, you know, like, <laughs> to get the point across. <laughs> Having said that, I, it, you know, the, the sort of the tension and the sort of, I mean, it's, it's easier to say this when you have three movies all at once to watch, you know, in relative succession, because you get that sort of the, 
sort of final the release of the of the big battle of winning in the end of our good guys winning which is why yeah. it's really i think it's really interesting the idea of the of the scouring of the shire because that like sort of undercuts that whole message which i also think is fun but this this whole story is like is generally the way it's told in this one a bit more traditional like good guys win bad guys lose you know right you are well i think well I, what I like about the Scouring the Shire is that they come home and they find that their home has changed, but then they use the tools they have learned on the road and they are able to like rouse the hobbits against their, these, these men who have like mistreated them and drive them out like quite easily. Um, right. It's like this triumphant, like little note and also kind of a thing of like, you can't just be isolationist all the time. Even right. if you ignore the outside world, the outside world will come and get you anyway. Right. I do think yeah. that the the sort of symbolism metaphor of of having not read the books that is seems to be more present in the books just from your explanation of like comparing it to uh, the World War uh, stuff is not super. <laughs> it's not really in this version as much. There are not as many lessons, and I think I think that's because it's it's decontextualized over time for one thing. And there's not much to glean about a world war two metaphor uh, for us, you know, yeah, people and, in 2020. Yeah. And the, and it's a movie, it's not a book. So there's, that's a different medium too, but I do miss that a little bit. And I, I kind of think we talked about this in the uh, Hobbit episodes, like is because I kind of, I, there's a lot of the anti-war politics that I align with. So I kind of want to explore that a little bit just from my personal perspective, but they're fun-ass fantasy action movies. Your inner child is not an idiot. Yeah. It's great. It's really fun. And if you haven't seen these, I can't believe you're listening this long. Yeah, because we didn't... We, we gave a recap, but otherwise, I mean, we just sort of bopped all over <laughs> Good for you, but would recommend. Good to explore. I'm interested. I'm not saying I'm gonna for sure, but I'm interested in reading the books. Just gonna throw that out there. What do you think, everybody? Your inner child is an idiot at gmail.com. You can text us or leave a message at 615-576-0525. I want to thank my friend Russ Weaver for the use of his song Top of Two for our ad music. We want to thank the patrons of our show, including Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Karen Curd. Lindsay Nell. Jonathan Day. Just Cuz. The Zesty. My boy Jacob Grimm. Particle Man. Damon's Australian accent. That was Irish almost. Damon's Australian <laughs> accent. Uh, Heather Tuggle. Dramatically placed hot dog. The supreme ruler of this podcast. Larissa Maestro. T. Smith. Jeremy Powlin. Kevin from Cleveland. Brandon Hardy. His Honor the Mayor. Dan McIntyre. And Justin Shea. Thank you all very much. If you want to support the show like them, patreon.com slash your inner child is an idiot. Do you want to sing us out with your, uh, your Hobbit song? At the- yeah, actually, I have my favorite Gollum song here. Okay. Uh, I like it because it has a rhyme scheme and then until it doesn't. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, Naughty little fly, why does he cry? Caught in a web, soon he'll be eaten. <laughs> that's, a sub- that's good. That's good. You subvert the rhyme. <laughs> you um, don't catch it. You don't see it coming. Is that from the book? No, that's from the movie. He sings that when Frodo is trapped in Shelob's web. Oh, I know, but I mean, is that, you know. I know, I don't think it is. That is, I think, might be an Andy Serkis original. Might be a little too clever clever by half for (laughs) Tolkien's song. It needs to be about three pages long.